Good morning, happy Monday. I have Neural Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, man, very busy morning already uh, rolling. So we're gonna dig straight into today's Q&A. Um, this is with Alec. Alec asked another great foundational question. And this was in regards to where we see the expressions of certain ranges of motion. And what we're talking about under these circumstances is actually the shape change that we've discussed. Go back as many years as we've been doing these videos and uh, we will have discussed it as such. The mechanical representations of levers and pulleys can be useful at times, but what we're really talking about here is accessing spaces. And there is no place where we will see um, a representation of, as we would say, full range of motion anywhere. What we would have is expressions of certain aspects of, of movement based on certain spaces. So in certain spaces, we'll be able to access more external rotation than internal rotation. Um, if we have appropriate shape changes, what we should be able to see is an expression of the internal rotation being superimposed on the external rotation. And so this is what we're actually seeing as we're moving people through space and taking measurements or watching them move dynamically and accessing spaces. So it, it all comes down to the shape change, which makes this a very important question for a lot of people. So thank you, Alec. If you'd like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Don't forget to include your question in the email. Everybody have an outstanding Monday and I'll see you tomorrow. Um, okay, okay. Yeah. So to go back, we just want to know from every every range of motion available to end range. What are like maybe the well, five see, milestones? So here you go. You don't, so there is no position where you have all measures available. I understand that. I'm more talking of an individual that is able to change shape to access. Okay. So that's the important that's the important thing to, to, to recognize. So, so again, it's like, if I put you in an early representation of, of, of like just taking a step forward kind of a thing, right? You, yeah. don't have, you don't have access to full range of motion under those circumstances. What, what we, what we, and again, this goes back to our discussion last week about the full and the, like the normal and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's like, there is no position where all of those exist at any one time. It's- the, I understand that, yeah. Right? I, I'm stating this for effect, young man. So hang in, hang in there with me, because <laughs> I want I want everybody to kind of follow along. Uh, uh, so it's as you're moving them that the that the shape change can take place, and it allows what we have represented as a full excursion to take place. So if you're if you're in an early representation, for you to place yourself there, you have to have a significant ER measure available, and then you have to start to be able to superimpose an element of IR on that. So you will have you will have internal rotation. It will not be what would be the maximal representation of internal rotation under any circumstance. Okay, so if you were stepping forward, okay, um, that leg is is positioned positioned towards ER as it's about to strike the ground, which means you've got to have a lot of ER. So this is going to be towards the extreme of the average, okay? If I'm a narrow ISA, like crazy narrow ISA, that ER for me is actually more than it would be for the average Joe, right? Yeah. So I should expect to have more external rotation available to me under those circumstances. And therefore, I would have lesser IR, but I should still have it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> 
as I move towards middle, there has to be a shape change that takes place that allows that internal rotation to increase by my measure, excuse me. <clears throat> okay, which means that, so, so ER and IR are becoming more similar. Yeah. Okay, that means that the ER measure will lessen, the IR measure will increase because that's what the shape change should do. So as yeah. I go towards any representation that would constitute like middle propulsion, um, a sticking point in a squat, right? Any of those yeah. measures, I should see an increase in the IR relative to the ER. So the ER should drop off and the IR will be more represented because they're, they're like I said, they're becoming more and more the same. So they're not separate as much yeah. as before, right? Okay. And then as I move towards like a later representation, I should again see the, the increasing ER representation and a progressive drop off of internal rotation. Okay, so um, I, I'm going to give you a test question. Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, the traditional measure of hip abduction. Okay. What is that measuring in regards to early, middle, or late representations of external rotation? Uh, that would be a representation of ER in middle. Damn it. No. Uh, okay. You're so close, though. You're so close. It is a representation of ER, but it's a late representation of ER. So that's the leg actually. So what people would say okay. is well, the legs. So again, planar thinking screws the whole show. Okay. Because people say the leg is behind you. And so they'll say, well, the hip is extended. It's like, no, it's not. It's externally rotated, which is that ER measure. So abduction as you're walking. So as the leg is behind you and your toe is on the ground, your heel is up. That's a late representation of propulsion. That's actually an ER representation. The pelvis had to change shape into ER. The did, hip sorry, to... did you say adduction or abduction? AB, AB, AB. When when someone's on their back with their knee pointing to the ceiling, that that was the question. No. Okay, I did not. A B A B. Yeah, yeah, like away from midline. Thank you. In Thank what you. context? In gait. I, if you're walking, I don't care. If you're laying on your side and I lift your leg up to the side, it's not going up to the side. It's moving into ER relative to where the pelvis is. Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't go. Like if you got limited abduction, guess what? You are so oriented. You, you are so pushed forward and oriented. You can't even like, like you just don't have any space. You are like stuck. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. No, I, I like, again, I just want you to see where, where these representations take place. Okay. So if I, if I have, um, um, the capacity to move the hip through the excursion of what would be traditional flexion. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the pelvis has to be able to change its shape. It, it has to be able to access an ER position and the IR position for me to have that full excursion. It's not just the hip joint like pivoting in the acetabulum. It's like, if you don't get the shape change that's associated proximally, you don't have that range of motion. It stops, like literally it stops moving. And so again, th that's, I think that's the question that you're asking. It's like, it's like, 
to throw out a number at you, I don't know how valuable it would yeah, be. And but you, what you would do is, is, again, this is where the averages are actually useful. It's like, I can make a comparison, but then I have to understand, it's like, where am I measuring this, right? So if you measure hip internal rotation with the hip bent 90 degrees, yeah, and then you measure hip internal rotation with the hip at what would be traditional zero degrees of extension, yeah. Those are two different measures because the because the direction that the energy is traveling to create those shapes, okay, is going a different direction. Okay, so let, maybe me, it's because let, I let me stop. Okay. Let me stop you. Let me see if I can say something that's going to help you, and then you don't have to ask your question. Go ahead. You got somebody laying on their back. You got their hip bent ninety degrees. You yeah. Measure internal rotation. Yeah. Measure internal rotation. What direction is the internal rotation going? Is it going from distal to proximal or proximal to distal? You got a 50-50 shot. Don't worry about screwing it up because I'm going to give you the answer anyway as soon as you guess. Yeah, but I, I want to come up with a train of thought myself. Uh, it's going from proximal to distal. Oh, you should have flipped the coin the other way, brother. Think about this. Are you inducing the turn? Yes, I am. Okay, okay. So I'm twisting the leg. So I have to move the leg to get the get, get the, the turn to go towards them. Okay. Okay. So that test would would be a transition from early to middle. Because because the IR is coming from the foot to the hip, if you will. Okay. Good morning. Happy Wednesday. I have neuro coffee in hand and. It is perfect. All right. Today is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow's Thursday. That means that tomorrow, 6 a.m., the Coffee and Coaches Conference call, as usual. Get yourself a cup of coffee. Join us for some Q&A. Great people. Questions are always great. Um, lots of good information being passed around. A lot of people catching on, which is great as well. So, again, please join us 6 a.m. tomorrow. Link will be on my professional Facebook page just prior to the call. Digging into today's Q&A, <clears throat> great foundational question from Taya um, in regards to table tests. So those of you that, that do measure uh, clients or patients on, on a table, remember that you're measuring against the surface of the table. So basically what we're doing is we're determining the, the 4D, if you will, representation of this person on the table. And so as we take our measures, um, as, I would, as I'm fond of saying, <clears throat> these measures are dirty, so there's a lot of movement taking place. And so that's why we need to have understanding of how the ipsilateral measures, for instance, a left hip and a left shoulder measures um, should be similar in their representation. And when they're not, that helps us determine what shape this person is actually in, knowing full well that they are in the same orientation, but we're measuring against the table. So this is a very useful uh, question for those of you that, that don't quite understand the dirty table measures, if you will. Um, this goes back to chessboard interpretations and, and such. So when we see our ERs and our IRs, um, again, they are representing a physical shape of the individual. So we know where the compressive strategies are. We know when they're, where they're capable of expanding um, because of the, those movements are a little bit more apparent. So again, um, a tough thing to learn because it takes experience. This is not something that you can you can just write down and immediately get. This, this requires a little bit of 
of uh, trial and error, some failures and some successes, but you'll get it eventually. Again, this is an experiential type of a situation. So thank you, Taya. Great question. Um, I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. All right. So we will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference Call. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. See you tomorrow. I was just uh, thinking um, as I got a new client that it's like really compressed a uh, an arrow and like a traditional flat turn. And I was just wondering when you see these restrictions in the hip measurements, but when I measured the shoulder, it seemed like he has full uh, ER and a lot of IR. So I'm just... Uh, um wondering whether this is just the orientation of the glenoid that allows the full er and a lot of ir mm -hmm. or is just not as compressed in the thorax as it is in the pelvis but i'm guessing that both are being compressed <laughs> okay so yeah you have to appreciate what happens when you lay down on the table as far as an orientation is concerned right so so um if if you're you said they were lacking ir in the hip right yeah, it's like they have ER, 20 ER on the left and 35 IR, and on the right, it's 45 ER and uh, 10 IR. Okay, so, so to get that magnification of, of internal rotation mm -hmm. on the left side, so that left side is, is pretty far forward. It's turned the spine away from that side. So you gotta you gotta see the same thing up in the up in the thorax, but keep in mind that like they're they're dropping back on the table in the thorax where the pelvis is still turned. Okay. So again, you just have to you have to understand the representation of, of okay, so they're turned in the same direction, but then mm -hmm. they fell back to the table in the thorax. And and again, this is this has to do with just distribution of, of load on the surface right and so that that accounts for why you see the the differences in measures but you still have to account for the same turns so the so the cervical spine and the lumbar spine are both turned in the same direction but the weight of the of the body is going to pull it back to the surface that's mm -hmm. where you're going to that's where you're going to see those magnifications in the uppers versus the lowers. So it's like the gravity allows the body to get more motion in the. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you have a thorax, if you have a thorax that's anteriorly oriented, which you do, and then mm -hmm. I lay down and I lay down on the, on the table, like you're going to do a table measure, the thorax can, can roll back. Right. The question mark is, is how much of the cervical spine is moving to allow that thorax to move. Right. So if I have a if I have a C1 and a C2 that will turn. So the whole thorax is facing this way under most circumstances, I lay down on the table, my right shoulder hits the table, my upper cervical spine turns and it allows the left shoulder to come back down to the table. That's what that's what skews those measures. Oh, okay. Do you, do you understand? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just have to account for where, where that's happening. Sometimes you'll see it in the, in the uh, like when you're doing like a left hip measure and you know that, you know that they're, they're sort of anteriorly oriented, pushed way forward and you go, oh, they're not gonna have any, 
any hip ER, and then they have like 80 degrees. Well, it's just that the, the pelvis fell back to the table when you did the measure, right? Mm -hmm. And, and again, you just have to be able to account for that because a lot of these things, like you do like the whole chessboard. So this is why you look at the whole chessboard and you say, okay, here's my relationships. And this is what I should expect to see. And then you have that outlier measure. You go, I shouldn't have that internal rotation because all the other internal rotations are, are limited, right? And, and then you go, oh, they changed position as I was doing the measurement. So they turned somewhere else to account for that. That's why I always talk about systemic measures in regards to these table tests. You just have to understand where everybody else, where, where they're moving as you do the, the test. It's like, um, go back to Alex's question at the very beginning when he was talking about, oh yeah, it looks like this girl has 80 degrees of hip ER. And he goes, but if you slow it down, you can see where everything else starts to move. And so again, just, just learning to attend to those things is going to be really, really helpful for you because again, just because you're not feeling an end resistance doesn't mean that other stuff isn't moving while you're doing the measure. You, you, can, you can learn to pay attention to that and it will help you tremendously. But if, and, and as you evolve this capability, your end range measure like I said, you're going to get the outlier. It's not going to make sense because other stuff is moving and it magnifies the one measure or two measures that stand out, kind of like you were just saying. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfect sense. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have neuro coffee in hand and... It is perfect. Man, that is really good too. Oh, just going back to the, the wide with kind of, they've, they've got the, the ischium that's turned into ER. They've got the heel that's turned into ER. Uh -huh. So with your kind of ender game wide, it's create the space on the right. And then you've got to find the foot contact into an IR heel. Very good. Yes. Quite delay, a bit. Yes. Delay that thing before yep. you would do anything to come back on their helical angle is to get that foot if if right. if you create so hang on if you create that space and you capture the you capture the medial foot contact you you have moved them back okay cuz you to create the space think about it that has to expand if there's expansion there what direction would you move your wide's back yeah so it's like as soon as you start creating that space you're moving in that direction okay right okay and from like a, a, a like a starting on the ground, it could be anything from your, your sideline to. Um, well, it can't be anything, right? Because if you if you if you put pressure in the wrong place, you're not going to promote the the desired shape change. You're so, not going to be able to capture the. You're not going to be able to capture the bony position that you want, right? right? So it can't be anything. You you still have to attend to, um, the the representation now. Let me ask you a question from a biasing standpoint. Do you want more internal rotation or more external rotation? Simple answer, because you just, you already told me where the foot was. You're going to want to look for more internal rotation. Yeah, exactly. So, so you have to be in a position that would, that would promote that. So if you have a, if you have a, a hip that's resting in an extreme ER representation, do you think you're going to make that bony change that you want? Right. 
So, so then that's going to that's going to help you choose what position you're going to put people in. So from say you're doing like you know if you to choose from your oblique sits, you might you probably want to put them in a lower oblique sit. I I'd be okay with that, but then you have now you have to tell me like where where my contacts are to make sure that I'm not doing the wrong thing. You probably want to have more of a contact on your on 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 the elbow as opposed well that's definitely one of them that's definitely one of them but but let's let, we were talking about hips so let's let's stay right. there for a sec you're a cowboy in the old west you got your you got your holster on you got a gun hanging off of your hip okay so put your hand flat against the side of your hip okay slide it down like where your fingertips are whoop where where'd your fingertips are right there what's that bone femur Okay, what do we call the little this the, the little sticky out part that's kind of sharp there? Throat cancer. Thank you. Okay, if you were laying on your side in a low oblique sit, that sucker's going to be on the ground, right? Yeah. There you go. That's what we're talking about. Now, if you're laying on your side in a low oblique sit, and if you can get on the inferior aspect of that throat canter, which would be the backside when you were standing up, yeah, you're going to push that femur into IR. Okay relative to the pelvis so you're going to drive ir from the ground up into the pelvis that would be a favorable representation of the pelvis if you're trying to capture internal rotation on that hip right right yeah i was just, i was just thinking in terms of like your your wides where you might have uh, more of an eccentric orientation of kind of like the lateral uh infraspinatus you know mm -hmm. or am i backwards on that or the there's an operator no, no, I, I think I think you're okay with that representation, but but we were going from the position where you were saying that you had a bent ischium into ER, yeah. and we needed to promote an IR representation into the pelvis. So I want to drive IR from the ground up into the pelvis, and so that's why the low oblique sit becomes useful. Okay. Do you understand? Yeah. Yeah. Does that help you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. Okay. So what I want you to do is I want you to put weight on the, on the medial aspect of your elbow for me like that. Okay, perfect. Now, did you feel yourself drop to the inside of the elbow? You're, you're, you, you dropped towards the midline of your hand and then you got on the backside of your trochanter. Did you notice that? Yeah. That's okay. internal rotation. like this. Yes. Okay. That's internal rotation. Do you understand? Yeah. Now, Take your rib cage and your pelvis and turn it towards the floor. There you go. So now you got in, you got internal rotation on external rotation. Do you see that? There you go. That's where you need to get people. That's where you need to probably probably get Dante. Okay. Does that make sense? That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see the contact and you see where the pressure is. So right now it feels like you're pushing yourself towards your hip with your arm. Do you understand? Right. Right. There you go. Good morning, happy Friday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, for those of you on the two week sprint, this is your uh, recovery weekend. Time to reflect, look at your schedule, make any changes that you need to so you're always moving forward on all of your, your projects and making progress. Uh, digging into today's QA, this is with Andrew. This is an extension of sort of a conversation related to a video that I posted 
in regards to uh, middle propulsion activities capturing hip internal rotation. So a uh, quick review, uh, middle propulsion is this, this portion where we have an increasing element of, of internal rotation as we absorb uh, forces typically from the ground and then we're going to turn around at, at this point through middle P where we get this maximum force into the ground, that's max P, and then we get a, an increasing amount of internal rotation that's going from proximal to distal. So this is our first producing force, force absorbing and force of, uh, producing um, element of, of propulsion. Andrew's question was about capturing this. Um, as that representation that I showed for a narrow ISA sprinter, I believe, in the video. If you need to, you go to YouTube. It's on YouTube. You can watch it there. And then we talked a little bit about how we would do this um, in reference to a, a wide ISA individual. Because the starting conditions are, are a little bit different, we're going to do things a little bit differently in regards to how we're going to capture the internal rotation coming up from the ground and how we're going to produce it into the ground. So thank you, Andrew, uh, for this question. Because um, I think it's, again, clarification is, is always great. Um, especially when you're, you're new to concepts of how we look at these things from the early, middle, and late propulsive strategies. So again, thank you, Andrew. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Um, please put 15-minute consult, uh, consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it include your question in the email. We'll get to those as we can. Um, we got a little bit of a backlog to, to catch up on, so hang in there. Um, we do get to those. It just takes a little bit of time. Um, so thank you all for your attention. Remember to go to the YouTube channel, get subscribed there so you get all the videos. Uh, podcasts will be up as usual on Sunday. Everybody have an outstanding weekend, and I'll see you next week. So I think I understand middle propulsion conceptually. I think I understand that it's in a position of internal rotation applied kind of directly down, right? We're not, uh, there's, there's no, there's no E, there's no external rotation or uh, from the back or, or from the top going down or from the bottom going up. So it's this kind of moment in time where we're pushing directly towards the body and it's lifting from the ground basically right like if you had like a pure vertical force going on right uh <clears throat> okay this is why i like asking these questions yeah well i'm not i don't i it, it, it yeah we're talking about like that brief moment in time I, I understand where you're going there boss okay so what's become apparent to me is even though i kind of understands uh, why we would be chasing middle propulsion in a bunch of different situations, um, yep. whether it's like going from, you've regained external rotation to you need to apply force into the ground because you're human, or if it's somebody who wants to weight train and you're trying to make sure that you're not creating a late propulsive bias, um, yep. that, right? Um, my question regards um, cueing middle propulsion, like getting people to feel it, um, and maybe specifically, uh, well, we could talk about the context, but uh, like when I saw your video um, with uh, for the sprinter and you were cueing, you were doing a middle propulsive um, chop where you were going down to the, the elevated foot, right? Um, uh, down to the grounded foot. So the, the, oh, the grounded foot, okay. So the left foot was up on the box and then the, the right foot was grounded, correct? That one? Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, so, so even, even with something like that, it's like I don't understand exactly where 
like how to select the joint position. I mean, I guess. So, so okay. Okay. Can I stop you? Because this is that right there is a great question. That okay. right there is a great question. Okay. So let's use that representation. So standing upright, left foot on a box. Okay. Right leg is representing middle propulsion on the ground, right? Yes. Okay. What joint is being emphasized? uh what joints um okay let me let me let me cut to the chase sure sure was that a knee emphasis activity no where it was well no. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's it, show let's show some commitment here okay well, well okay so so, so like so, so where where was where was i trying to promote the greatest effect of that activity, was it the knee? I mean, I would, the knee is always involved because it's it's attached to everything else. But, right. but was was yeah. I was I intentionally constraining the relative motion at the knee to promote something else? Do you think? Yes, yes. For the there you go. So if I was trying to create a a change in relative position at the knee, I have to put the knee in a position where it would move more. But I didn't. I constrained it because I'm trying to promote a representation of internal rotation at the pelvis from the ground up. So I had to have a foot representation and I had a pelvis representation and I took the knee out of the equation. I turned the leg into one big stick. Yeah. Yeah. So now I now I can direct the 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 emphasis as to where I wanted it to be. And so every one of those exercises, every single one of those exercises was was with that thought process in mind. It's like, where do I want the greatest degree of influence? And that's gonna determine how much I move that joint through space. Right, okay. And then if you were working with a, a wide ISA um, individual and they're, they're on more of an oblique angle, then potentially the, the chop with a similar joint position would be coming from the side maybe, or would that actually create an interference? If I'm trying to create the turn? Yeah, right, because like one, one hip is, is relatively up, one's relatively down, so there's more of like this axis going on than with the narrow? Yes. Okay. I need to push the, if I need to push a hip down, okay, so right foot forward, left foot back, okay? Right to left chop, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So does that push the left hip down? Yes. yes. To a degree it does. Now you're unweighting a little bit. So you're making it a little bit easier for me to push with the right foot back to the left side. So I can create that turn. Okay. So I'm cool with that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But, okay. but you're absolutely right. So, so again, that left hip was up and I have to push it down into the ground, which means that so where do you push that hip into the ground? Well, you push it down in middle, don't I? Yes. Which means that I need, if, so, if, so if, I, if I put the foot left foot out in front and I was doing the chop, that's not middle. That's an early representation, isn't it? Say, say that one more time. If I, if I were to flip flop my feet, if I put the left foot forward under the circumstance that you're describing yes. and I did yeah. the chop, that's yeah. going to be an earlier representation. So that's not the highest force producing position. If right. I want to capture the higher force producing position with the turn, then I drop the foot back. You see it? Yes. Yes. And um, I was actually surprised the first time I used that strategy. Um, I haven't done like the, the front to back one that you exhibited, uh, but 
the first time I did that, uh, I realized like, oh, it, it's, yeah, it really just feels like my leg is straight underneath me. And then you do it with clients and they're like, wait, I'm not really feeling, <laughs> I'm not really feeling all that much. And I'm like, yeah, perfect. Right. It's just, it's like, it's a leg going up. Um, so I guess, are there situations where we're working on um, capturing middle propulsion where there would be um, a much different strategy um, than the one we just talked about? Yeah. That, that, like the chopping. Because um, okay. I think that, that seems like a good starting point because it's on the ground. It's, in, it's like in a standing position. Okay. Do I need to acquire the position of internal rotation or do I need to produce the force from that position? Mm, that's a good question. Um, that is a good question. So that's the that's the answer to your like. I just gave you a question to answer your question. Right. Um, for acquiring inter for acquiring middle propulsion, would there be? Okay, so if I'm so if I'm trying so okay, so for the, for the acquisition of that position, we're we're kind of back talking about like the low oblique sit as the representation. So I'm going to use the ground to to create the position. If, I, if my foot's in front of me, that's the earlier representation of internal rotation coming up from the ground. That's gonna help me acquire the position of the pelvis that I need to, to then redirect the force down into the ground. And so if you were gonna try to organize this in some manner and you had somebody that was having um, issues with force production or they were uncomfortable when they apply force to the ground because they're too ER'd, then I need to start thinking about doing something with the, with the, the, the uh, the side that I'm trying to affect, I'm going to put that into the lead foot representation so I can start to superimpose internal rotation from the ground up. That's going to give me the internal rotation towards the pelvis. I get the shape change that I want. Then I learn to teach them to redirect from the top down, which is what you saw in the first two exercises of the 13 exercise sequence. One was the early capture of internal rotation, and then I immediately switched it over to, to create the downforce. So one force was coming this way in the first exercise, the second exercise I was pushing down into the ground. Right. Wait, uh, the second exercise you were pushing down into the ground. Yes, yeah. sir. Right, right. Okay. Okay, so, so when we start thinking about middle propulsion, we're, we're sort of assuming that we have the joint range of motion, the, the necessary ER space, we're basically, Middle propulsion is like, now let's start actually pushing into the grounds and then evolving that in the appropriate direction. 